What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Two Feet on the Ground Gravity Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris. As usual, thank you for choosing to tune in today. Hey folks, you're in for a treat. Jamie and I are trying to bring more voices to this conversation of how do you maintain perspective in life. Amongst all the noise and chaos that's happening around us, how do we identify our foundations, stay grounded, and keep two feet on the ground? And as we've continued this conversation, Jamie and I realized recently that we were really missing the boat. We hadn't had very many teenagers or early 20-somethings on the show that we thought could bring really valuable content to staying grounded. So that's why we've been doing that over the last couple months. And today, you're going to be hearing from 18-year-old Joan Catherine. I, I found Joan. I found Joan. As if she was hiding somewhere. I met Joan at a high school production of A Midsummer's Night's Dream by Shakespeare. And just watching her portray the, the, the odd character of Puck was totally phenomenal. The passion she brought to the stage, uh, not just her, the, the entire cast, it was, it was amazing to watch. But in the end, it was her character and her as a person that I sat there and thought, man, I want to interview her. And then somewhere in this process, I also learned that she's on the autism spectrum. And I thought, wow, this is going to be someone that can really share some, some ideas with, with the rest of us of what, what the world is like around us right now and, and how do you sit there and cipher through all of the noise and chaos. But before we get into that interview, folks, I want to talk about Service Peace Warrior. Service Peace Warrior is a 501c3 nonprofit that's dedicated to our nation's heroes. That's right, the veterans that are returning with either war-related PTSD or other injuries, Service Peace Warriors has their back. They do all of the fundraising, they train up service animals, they train the veteran, and they equip veterans with the powerful tool of a service dog. But Service Peace Warriors has taken it one step further. They started Maddox Dog Training Academy so that one, they could fund Service Peace Warriors, but then they could also use the funds for Maddox to also equip first responders. That's right, our police, fire, EMS folks with service animals as well. Folks, you could join the effort with Service Peace Warriors. Just simply Google search Amazon Smile. You can find out how you can link your Amazon account to Service Peace Warriors. And then every time you spend a couple bucks on Amazon, Amazon's going to kick some money towards Service Peace Warriors. Again, check them out today, servicepeacewarriors.org. With that, folks, let's jump into our interview with Joan. Joan, Catherine, thanks for joining me here on the Gravity Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hey, I want to get into who you are here in just a little bit. Uh, now, I got to acknowledge right off the bat that you and I really don't know each other. I see you on stage at a high school production of A Midsummer's Night's Dream, and I just loved your passion that you brought to the stage. Not just you. I, I love the passion that I saw from the entire cast, but you and your character that you portrayed in particular really drew me in throughout the production. But we'll get to that here in just a little bit. If you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself so the listeners know who you are and uh, yeah, just what are your interests? Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of just an all around artist. Um, I love, I just love art and, and literature and 
like philosophy and humans and nature and animals and um like I don't know I guess I just love I don't know I yeah <laughs> so you you grew up uh in the same I think in the same area where where I grew up here in the Tri-Cities yeah. in Washington State yes so t- tell, tell me about are you an only child do you have siblings tell us about your family dynamic growing up yeah, I, I have a younger sister. She's about 18 months younger than me, I think. And then I have an older sister who I've never lived with, but um, she's my half-sister and I, I love her very much. My parents are like the best parents in the world. I mean, at least for me, I mean, they they have always like listened to me and, and encouraged me to do what I love. And, you know, I'm... I, I mean, I, I think I must have been a hard child to parent. I, I mean, I, I wasn't like, I never had like a huge, like hating my parents phase, but you know, I, I grew up with autism. Um, I actually didn't know I had it until I was nine, I think was when I got diagnosed. And I was always sort of like a shy child, like, I don't know, just, just kind of like shy and quiet. If you don't mind me asking, so maybe maybe unpack that for a little bit for us. What? Tell me about autism. I mean, I know a little bit. I have friends uh, that are on the autism spectrum. I have friends with kids that are on the autism spectrum. But what? You know, life is about challenges. We all face some type of challenge. What kind of challenge or unique circumstance did that create for you, or has it created for you in life? Yeah. So for me, I mean, as a kid, like I had no idea. My parents had no idea. I mean, my mom is a social worker, but she never really like worked with autistic people. And in general, I think the world has a very different idea of what autism is than what it actually is. I mean, I've always sort of said that like, you don't really know unless you have it. And it's, it's certainly different for everyone. And so I sort of got diagnosed and I was like, I, I thought it was cool. Uh, like I said, I was like nine years old and I was like, you know, like, cool. Like I have like a thing that like describes my brain and like I, I learn differently. And like, so I guess what it is for me is, and and a lot of autistic people will tell you that it's just our brains are wired differently. And so for me, that means that I learn differently than other kids. I have like... a completely different process for learning things. I have my own like special interests. I'll get very like hyper fixated on one thing and then I will only be able to focus on that one thing. And so other things are just very, very hard for me to be able to do. And then there's also just, I mean, there's like struggle with socializing. Um, A lot of the times I think I'm, I've gotten decent at picking up on like tact and like what, what that is. And I'm, I, I've never been like super, like outwardly, like, I, I don't know. I've, I've always like known that I can't just like always be honest with people and say that I, I don't like something about them or something, but sometimes I get frustrated with that <laughs> because I mean, I don't know. I think it'd be a lot easier if we were all just super honest with each other. I mean, but there's also tough things about that. Um, and then there's also like sensory issues, like loud noises and like bright lights. And like, I can hear my computer like running, like 
breathing right now and it's like <laughs> bothering me a little bit. So there, yeah, it's, it's a lot of stuff and really it just, it, my, my brain is just wired a little bit differently than yours. Yeah. And that's a remarkable thing to recognize because I think as humans, even though we have so much in common in, in being human, uh, I also think recognizing the diversity that we bring to the table that we don't all think alike and it's okay, right? Both our learning processes and just other things, uh, but but yeah. coming together where we are the same is a great starting point. I mean, yeah, especially, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, I've heard a lot of weird like takes on autism from people who are not autistic, just trying to speak on it. And a lot of um, sometimes people will be like, oh, we're all a little bit autistic, which is like, sure, our brains are all wired differently, but like the world is specifically built for not me. I mean, it's it's specifically built for people who learn a certain type of way and who understand like social rules and and it's not built for me. So yeah, I mean, ideally we wouldn't have to label things like this because it's really not, it's not like a bad thing. I really just struggle because, because of the way that society is set up. Yeah. What, what challenges has that created? Has it created conflict within relationships where you say something and you're being honest, uh, Hey, I hate your hat or, or whatever it might be. Uh, has it created a lot of conflict just in, in growing up? I mean, yes. Um, well, I think it's less so now. I mean, because now I can like communicate to my friends and I've always been like a pretty good communicator and hopefully my friends are, if they're not, then we probably won't stay friends for that long. But um, I would say, you know, the hardest thing is so right after I got diagnosed, I was going into fourth grade. Uh, and I ended up with a teacher who, and, and, you know, when you get diagnosed with autism and you're a kid, like you think, you know, that's a good thing to like tell your teachers and tell people, you know, any adults who are working with you because it'll, it'll help them like to understand you. Right. But like I said, a lot of people do not have the right idea of what an autistic person is. I mean, a lot of the research that's been done, like most of the research that's been done on autistic people has been on males. And so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a girl. I, I experience autism differently, but there's not a lot like the idea of autism is not necessarily my experience. So, um, so that's a thing. And even like experts, on it or like people who are like trained to work with autistic kids don't always understand because you know you're trained a certain way but like you have to work with the person and like learn about their specific needs because we're all different i mean we all have this common set of traits but we're all super different and experience the world differently um so i ended up with this teacher and i mean i was always I was struggling with school um, in like the year before I, I had also been like struggling with depression through like, I think it, I think it started towards like the end of second grade. Um, and then I moved schools in third grade. So that made it sort of worse because I moved houses and then I moved schools and just a lot of change. Change is another thing that we struggle with. We like to have our routines. And yeah, so I ended up with this, this fourth grade teacher who just really 
didn't get me. And in general, just the school system just was not working for me. And, you know, since we told them I had autism, they had this idea of like how to help me, but I was a nine-year-old kid. Like, and so I understand why, you know, they didn't really think to ask me what my needs were. And my parents would listen to me. My parents were, you know, good at that. They wanted to help me in the best way possible, but you know, I mean, I don't know. And even I didn't completely understand. Oh, completely. Um, so it, 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 it ended up just being a mess. I was specifically, I was struggling with math. I was struggling to focus. I brought like a comfort item to school, which is a thing that a lot of us have. This is my current comfort item. Um, oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, so I was bringing that to school and my teachers would try and like rip it out of my hands and that did not end well. It ended in just, it, it was just very traumatic for me. Um, I remember this one day, the teacher asked the entire class at the beginning of the day to leave the classroom when I got there. And then I like started leaving with them and she said, not you. And then, um, uh, my principal came in and he, you know, was trying to take my comfort item away. And I was like, no. And he actually picked me up at one point, like physically picked me up. Um, yeah. Long story short, <laughs> I ended up um, homeschooling. And then that was like a whole other thing that we had to figure out how to make work. My mom, <sighs> my mom wanted me to just have like a babysitter with me during the day to just like help me. But she ended up finding this person who was like supposed to be an autism expert, but she was like fresh out of school and she had an idea of autism that was not completely me. And so she was like trying to sort of help me. She was trying to, you know, she didn't like, I guess she didn't understand that like I there are some autistic traits that I just don't have. And so she was trying yeah. to teach me like what emotions were, which a lot of autistic people struggle with like differentiating certain emotions. And I've never really had a struggle with that. And so that was just like even more, I mean, she was awful to me. She was really, I, I didn't feel really safe in my house. I, and, and my parents like, this is not my parents' fault because they, you know, everyone was sort of telling them that, God, I hope they're okay with me talking about this. Everyone was sort of telling them that I needed to get through it. Like I needed to deal with it um, and I would be okay. And she was like teaching me a lesson or something. I don't know. <laughs> you should get my mom on the podcast. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, so yeah, that was just, really really scary and hard um and I was also dealing with I mean I was dealing with like depression and anxiety too um I was having like panic attacks and you know stuff like that so yeah that that was that's my biggest struggle with autism and that's excuse me <laughs> something that I've had to like that I've had to heal from I mean this happened 10 years ago a little bit more than that maybe no like yeah. nine or ten years ago and 
you know, that's, that's childhood. That's like, it's supposed to be like a nice, like fun time where you're developing and like learning new things. And it was really just a shitty time. Sorry if I'm not allowed to cuss, but it was really just a shit show. It was traumatic and not fun. Well, I'm interesting you, you unpacking it because I've, uh, I know your dad a little bit more than your mom, but I've met both and I've, I've gotten a snapshot of their heart and then listening you to, to you describe them and just being great parents and listening to you and walking with you, you through life. Uh, I can imagine as a parent, right? I want my kid to be, to be safe. I want my kid to thrive. And when you don't know how to do that, and here's the deal, there's no book, there's no instruction manual. We're all trying to figure it out while we move through it, right? As is life. And so I can imagine how that must've been a struggle for your parents, listening to experts, right? That are, they should tell me what to do in this. And, but the reality is, is some of that might be wisdom, but some of it may not pertain to my child. And and so I, I'm going to have to sit there and put in the hard work of, of listening and trying, failing as a parent, trying again, and then hopefully eventually finding the right groove. And it sounds like homeschool did eventually become the right groove for you. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I got out of the thing with that, that one lady, she, I mean, it was at the end of like, at the end of fourth grade, I think went back to public school. Cause the, the goal this whole time was to go back to public school and get me ready to go okay. back. So I went back to fifth grade for like the first semester I ended up like a lot of the times I would just go in the lobby of the school and read because I guess that's better than nothing. And I would just read the whole time. And so, yeah, eventually I was like, okay, this is not going to work. Went back to homeschooling. And I tried to go back so many times, (laughs) like, believe me. Anyway, so in seventh grade, I was like doing this like online school thing which is, I mean, better than what I was dealing with, but it was still, it was still like structured schoolwork and it was still, you know, math and math is like, I have like, I have dyscalculia, which is basically like math dyslexia and math is just something that I really, really struggle with. And it, I I, I suppose math also has some like trauma connected to it because that was what was, what I was really struggling with in like fourth grade. So I would look at a math problem and I would like cry and struggle a lot. And I mean, my mom was just sitting with me at home, helping me every day and every day it was a struggle. And I was just, you know, trying to get through the day. And eventually my mom was like, you know what, this isn't working either. Like I'm, I was still super depressed. I didn't have any friends I was, I wasn't really doing anything like fulfilling. I was just trying to get through every day. And so she found this book on unschooling, which is basically, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of misinformation about what it is. And I'll I'll have to preface this by saying it certainly is not for every child. I mean, I mean, like I said, every child learns differently, but basically it's, a type of homeschooling where the curriculum and like the, your education is based on the interests of the student. So I didn't have to, and this is like the government like approves of this. My mom just has to like send them like a, 
like a like little like summary of everything I did throughout the year at the end of every year. So yeah, I I got into that and I was I felt so much better. I didn't have to do math. I mean, I did math when I needed to, when the world brought that up. Because I mean, the whole point of school is to prepare you for the world. So what if you're just like learning those things while being in the world and living your life and then you learn things because that's what life is. So yeah, I I felt a lot better. I was still, of course, dealing with trauma. I, I wasn't, I mean, the reason why I didn't leave the house was because I was scared of everything. I was scared that I was going to have another bad teacher. I was scared of other kids. I was scared of, I was scared of everything out in the world that wasn't my parents. Like I was really yeah. just living in a bubble. And eventually I, I'd been like, sort of like, I, I mean, I really wanted to be an actor. I really wanted to try doing theater. I mean, I watched a lot of TV, so I, I, I wanted to try it. I tried a few classes with the children's theater and they always made me super anxious. I actually dropped out multiple times. And then eventually I was like, in like seventh grade and I I started going slowly I, I quit a few things but sometimes I wouldn't quit and I learned that it was like an okay place my dad did my first like main stage big show with me my dad was in it with me and so that helped a lot because <laughs> I was there and I was learning how to do it but my dad was with me so I had like a safe person And then eventually I just sort of got more into it. And I had, I had this, this one woman named Julie who um, I've known all my life and she just really, I mean, she actually runs a program there for kids on the autism spectrum to do like teaching them how to do theater. And it's just super, super chill. So she understands autism (laughs) at least to some extent. And so she's just super, super flexible. And so I had her there And eventually I started making friends and learning how to do it. And I, it's, it's really just such a safe and accepting place that it's such a good place to like, learn how to learn how to be in the world again, I guess. Um, Yeah. And so it sort of, it sort of just saved me from this awful, like years long rut and like bubble that I was in. And eventually I, I really, I really did like love the art and I knew I would love it. And it's so weird because like I said, I was, I was so shy as a child. I don't like, I I don't like going up on stages myself. I I'm, I'm so awkward, but when I get to be a character, it's like, it's, it's not me. And so for some reason, I'm just so completely comfortable up there. And, and it's just, it's just really cool. It's just the perfect thing for me. And I love studying characters. I love just getting to, and it helps me understand why people are the way that they are. And it's just, it's just the best. So you portrayed the character Puck in A Midsummer's Night's Dream what yes. does that preparation, what does it entail? How do you study that character 
to be able to portray it so, so well? Well, first of all, it's Shakespeare. And I had never, I'd seen a couple Shakespeare shows, loved them. I, I mean, I saw like Twelfth Night first, I think. And so I, I knew Shakespeare. I was, I was, I was into it. I was very, very excited to, to get into it. I didn't know if it was something that I was going to be good at or like, I, I, I didn't know. And I, I actually auditioned for Hermia. I actually really didn't want to be Puck because, and it's not that I didn't want to play the character or think that it was like a fun character, but I was terrified of the lines. They just are also like complicated and like hard. And I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't really think comedic acting is really my, like, I've always just like loved dramatic acting, but I don't know. I suppose I, I can, I look kind of funny. I don't know. Um, but I, I, I did the, the puck monologue for my audition because my director said that I should, um, he wanted to see me do it. And I guess it was good. Cause I got the part. <laughs> um, and so yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing, I mean, this is like, so far, that role has been like, the most like, research I've had to do, because it's Shakespeare, I had to like, translate all these lines, which our directors, super, super helpful with that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was all of our first times doing Shakespeare. So um, it was a huge thing to tackle. And we had an amazing time. I mean, we all, I think we all loved it. Like, from I mean the tears on like closing night I think I think we all really loved it so I guess yeah it was just learning what the lines meant and then I had to develop like he's a goblin or like a fairy so I had to I, I didn't want to just like look like a human I, I I sort of developed this like weird walk and like um yes you did like, weird like monkey stance all the time which was very I mean my back <laughs> my back is like dead from that but it was it was super super fun and so um and then I ended up just like knowing the character so well that I would do I, I would just like start doing like really weird things like I would put the flower like on like under my leg and like <laughs> like I don't know, just weird stuff like that. And I just, I had a lot of fun with it. And I was, I was, I, I was just so glad that I made it work, <laughs> which. What I, this, I was just going to say what I loved about it was the passion you brought to it. And that's what grabbed my attention was there was a couple long scenes where you were in the background and I'm not going to remember all the characters names, but other characters were in the foreground playing out this part. You were still part of the scene but you weren't the focus. And so people are looking at the, you know, the, the characters that are speaking, but then I would be drawn back to you because you were still in character. You didn't, you didn't break character ever. And I saw the show twice. I never saw you break character and you're right. This awkward, odd character of puck. I saw you continue to play it out the entire time, even when you weren't in the spotlight of it. And it was just, I don't care what people do, whether they play a guitar, whether they cook food, whether they're an athlete, when they bring passion to their discipline, it's just fun to watch. It's fun to watch people who are passionate about what they're doing and, and are just giving it their all. It's just, yeah, it was, it was absolutely remarkable. It was so fun to watch. 
Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I'm always sort of nervous about, like when there's other people talking and you have to react. And I mean, sometimes, I don't know, sometimes you're scared that you're just going to like lose your character. And sometimes I'll be on stage and I'll be like, am I in character right now? But um, <laughs> yeah, I guess. And then there's also like, you don't want to take away from the people in front because they're the ones like, who are actually like saying the lines and um, doing the interesting thing, but you still want to be in character so that you don't take the audience out of the story. But yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you noticed that because it's, it's, it's certainly, I mean, that scene is one of the most exhausting scenes for me to do because I'm just, I mean, I'm sitting my like, back is hunched over and I have to keep like laughing at what the characters are saying, but it's, 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 so exhausting, but it's so fun. Hey, you mentioned anxiety and depression. This is something that I experienced. I was a child crime detective about 13 years ago and listening to bad things happening to kids eventually really started to impact me to where I started having these massive anxiety attacks. They felt like heart attacks. I, I literally thought I was dying, called the ambulance. And, and the process of healing was really, really tough. Now I'm thankful I experienced it because until it's kind of like what you were saying about autism. Unless you are autistic, uh, you really can't know what it's like for Joan to be autistic. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I can study, I can read, I can listen to you, but I'm never going to fully understand it unless I'm in your skin. And the same is true for, I think, anxiety and depression. Until you have felt it, until you've lived it, it's really hard to fully understand it. What, what has been some of your process? What have been some of the things that have helped you heal or deal either way with anxiety and depression? I mean, therapy. <laughs> I think therapy is certainly like a huge thing. And I went through a lot of therapists who were shitty and made me feel even worse about myself. And so you really have to find the right one, but therapy and, and knowing when just completely lost my train of thought when I found the right therapist and, and some of the therapists who weren't so great also helped me. Like I had a, a trauma therapist who helped me through my trauma, even though sometimes she made me feel not great about myself. Like she did uh, EMDR, which is like yep. this really weird, like trauma, right? Like it's so weird, but it, it works. It works so well. And so that, that helped me so that I don't have to deal with like super bad, like anxiety with that um, anymore. But yeah, with depression and anxiety, it's really, it's really just knowing how to listen to your therapist and knowing how to talk. I think a lot of people are scared to share their experiences and then that makes therapy not so helpful because, you know, your therapist needs to understand, they need to know everything that's going yes. on in your head or at least most things because then they'll be able to help you the best. And so I'm lucky that I've, I'm pretty good at sharing. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I've said quite a lot here and I'm, I'm comfortable with it. Cause I know that, I know that other people will be able to relate to it. And, um, yes. Yeah. Wow. And what I hear you saying there is you're talking about a trusting relationship. You have yeah. to have that trusting relationship with the therapist. Cause I, I, I did the same thing. I walked in and told my counselor everything. And I was ready for her to look back at me and say, you're crazy. Yep. You've lost your mind because I, that's what I felt. I was telling myself these lies 
you're crazy, you've lost your mind, you can't control these anxiety attacks. But instead, she looked at me and said, wow, that's a really common response to the not common things that you've you've seen as a child crime detective. This is really common, Chris, and you're going to be okay. We're just going to have to do some work to help you get there. And I was like, did you not listen to what I just said? I'm crazy. Like, remember, I'm crazy. I'm the crazy one. You're not crazy. You're not crazy at all. This is the way the human brain processes trauma. And sometimes you experience trauma directly. And sometimes you experience trauma vicariously through others. But either way, your human brain is trained to process and make sense of this. And so you're going to be okay. And I agree with you. The more we talk about some of these challenges that we've gone through for that person that's suffering in silence, that feels alone, that feels feel scared to speak up and say, Hey, I'm not doing all right. And I need some help. Us sharing our story gives, gives people, I think the courage to, to do the same has, has theater been a piece of that as well. Just the process of building these relationships and, and just excelling at something. Has that helped with, with depression and anxiety? I mean, certainly. I mean, especially with depression, I mean, going out and doing something is like the best way to get through it. Um, I mean, when I'm not in a show, my depression goes up, which is maybe something I need to work on. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's something that I can put my everything into. And um, it's wonderful that it's wonderful that it's something that I'm good at, too. Um, I know that's kind of off topic, but like, it's it's really it's really cool to be like, recognized and it makes me feel like I can do it and I'll be able to do it for the rest of my life. Yes. which is, I think what I want to do. Um, it, it, yeah. So, I mean, certainly, certainly it's helped me. Yeah. I love your self-awareness there. You said that uh, when you're not in theater, it increases some of those depression moods. And you said, maybe it's something you need to work on. Well, yeah, we all have things we need to work on. Right. But yeah. the self-awareness of recognizing, all right, Hey, I just got done with a production. I'm probably going to enter some kind of a depressive state on some level. Now I can start asking the question of what can I do to counteract that, right? What can I do? Sometimes it's signing up for another, another production, but if there isn't any for three to four months, uh, I'm going to want to find some other life routines and just having that self-awareness I've learned has helped me a bunch um, in dealing with, again, with anxiety, because even though I consider myself healed, uh, it's not that I don't feel anxiety anymore. I haven't had a major attack feeling like a heart, heart attack in a long time. But sometimes it still feels overwhelming, like, oh, my gosh, I'm really anxious about this thing coming up. And, and then I have to turn back to, OK, what did my counselor teach me? What are those things I can draw on to help me process and, and move through this? Depression and anxiety is probably I mean, my anxiety has sort of gone down. It's still there a little bit. Depression is something that I'm always going to like, I, I don't think it's ever going to be like cured. Like I'm always going to have to deal with it but it's manageable and it's something it's not something that makes me dread living like it's not something that makes me dread the rest of my life because i could think like oh great i'm just going to like get depressed all over again and over and over again and even when i get better i'm always going to get depressed again and that's hard but it's also like there's so many great things that i'll be able to experience when i'm not depressed and like i can i can get through it and i've proven to myself that i can get through it and I should listen to this next time I get depressed because it's really, I mean, I, I do, I do really have to remind myself 
that I will feel better again. And I've, I've done this before and I know how to get through it. I just need yeah. to, I just need to wait it out really. And you do, and you can do really tough things. I mean, it's kind of like if you could go back and talk to your third grade self, right? I mean, what would you tell that third grade self whose principal is picking her up and, and ripping her comfort, her comfort item away from her? What would you say to that, that third grade self? Oh God. I mean, I would probably, I would probably tell her that there are good things coming and I would probably, and I I would tell her that she's allowed to be who she is. And it's not like, she doesn't have to like repress that. And that it's, it's, it's not, it's not her problem. Like it's, it's really all the world. And even though they think she's a brat, it's really, they, they don't get it. And I, I mean, I would probably also tell her that this thing that I, I tell a lot of people when they're dealing with like, when they're dealing with something like really, really deeply, just just something like really deep in their, something really yeah. deep. Um, right, in their, totally. Mentally, um, which I, I always say like, because I thought that it was never, I, I mean, people would tell me like, it'll get better. And like, it always, it always gets better. It'll all be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. And I would always hear that. And I would think like, yeah, but not for me. Like, it's not, I'm the exception to that. It's not going to get better for me. And it absolutely did. <laughs> so I would probably tell her that, like, I know you feel like it's not going to get better for you, but it will. And that's, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud that I get to tell people that and tell people that they, they're, they're not the exception. I mean, it really, you can build the life that you want and it's hard because it's, it's hard because there's the whole world that you have to deal with and you have to figure out how to make your way through and like build your own world. Um, if you don't fit and, you know, find a place that you fit, build a place that you fit, but you can do it. Yeah. You can do hard things, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I hear you saying. I mean, you've, you've done some really hard things. You've had remarkable people there to support you in doing some of those hard things. And I'm certainly, I'm certainly very privileged that I had good parents. I mean, if I had, if I had, and I mean, I don't know how I got so lucky because my parents are just, they know exactly, they know to listen to me. And I think a lot of people's yeah. parents suck and they don't know how to listen to their kids and they just want to decide what their kids need for them. And it's, I, I don't know what I would have. I mean, I probably wouldn't be here if if it weren't for my parents. Hmm. That's powerful. I, I really, yeah. I'm telling you as a dad on the day after Father's Day, now this is going to go live uh, in August, but, uh, but you and I are recording this the day after father's day. And as a dad, when you hear stuff like that, uh, it connects with our heart, right? Because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, to love our young humans and grow them up and, and support them as they, as they try to navigate this difficult world. And, and you, you mentioned most parents don't listen. Well, I would say most humans don't listen. Well, in general, 
in general, I, I think it's like one of the most topics that, that anything's been written on is communication. How do we listen well to each other? We read it and we learn. And then all of a sudden we go out there and not do a, a very good job of it. At least I'm speaking from my experience. I teach it. And, and then I catch myself failing at it. And I'm like, ah, oh, I know this stuff. We, I get occupied sometimes with what's going on inside my head that I forget. I'm talking to another human here who has remarkable insight. And if I just listen to them, so I'm thankful. And it doesn't surprise me. Again, I don't know your parents super well, but from the, the little bit that I do, it doesn't surprise me to hear you describe them as being great listeners. Hey, you just graduated high school. What's next? And are you looking to, to act in another capacity? Well, I actually just got cast in um, the first Shakespeare in the Park here in the Tri-Cities. As you like it, I'm playing Touchstone, which is even more terrifying than playing Puck. Uh, we're starting rehearsals actually tonight, and then we open in, in August, and I'm super excited. And then after that, I'm moving to Portland. <laughs> That's the plan right now, and I'm just going to sort of like see what's out there, maybe a little bit down the line, think about going to drama school, maybe, but really I just, I don't, I, I just want to keep doing what I love. And I, I don't care if it's like, if it's like, if I, if I do something like super huge with it, like I would be okay doing community theater for the rest of my life. Cause it's really, yeah. it's not, it's not like I do it for like a ton of like attention or anything. I appreciate the attention, but <laughs> I, I, yeah, I just want to keep doing what I love and making art and. Yeah. Oh, here's the deal. There's, there's things we do to, to earn a living and there's things we do because we have a passion for doing it. And it doesn't always have to be the exact same thing. In fact, I would say sometimes when people take their love, their passion, and they turn it into their job, it, it kind of extinguishes the fire. It's no longer a passion because it's, it's this, it's this thing they have to do in order to survive. Uh, I, I have things in my life that I do now. I get paid nothing for, including producing a podcast. Uh, but I love doing it because it's fun to listen to other people and and to gain perspective from other people's lives. Yeah, Joan, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I look at time as my most valuable commodity because I can't make more of it. And uh, you giving me the pre-interview, you giving me this. And now I have something to do in August because I know I'm going to be going to Shakespeare in the park because I am excited <laughs> to see you once again on stage. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Have a great day. You too. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, I'm constantly amazed by this opportunity that I get to talk with remarkable people. I want to thank Joan and the entire cast of A Midsummer's Night's Dream that were the inspiration to this episode. Thank you for the passion that you brought to the stage. Uh, totally, 100% enjoyed it. Hey folks, Jamie and I want to hear from you. There's different ways that you can communicate back to us. First and foremost, follow us on whatever platform you're consuming this on, whether it's a podcast platform or YouTube. Also, if you're following on Apple or Spotify, you can still rate and review us. That increases the viewability for us on those platforms. At the bottom of the main page, there's five little stars. Folks, we would really appreciate a five-star rating if we've earned it. But folks, you've heard me say it. They're your stars. They're your stars. You get to choose. If we haven't earned that five-star rating, maybe shoot me an email at chris at gravityct.com. Let us know how we can make it better. 
maybe future Marriage Monday topics or guests for me to interview. Folks, we only get to live this life once. Let's go out and love well. Take care of each other. God bless.